It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, it's our fourth week gathering ever, okay? We're on week four. Nine o'clock was incredible. I hope that 11 actually supersedes that. But anyways, um, God has done so much in these last four weeks. It's been incredible to see. Like just yesterday, uh, around 40 or 50 people gathered in this place to, to paint, do landscaping, move stuff around. It was incredible. People sacrificed their Saturdays. Uh, and gave up Netflix and binge-watching The Office. And what they did was they came here, they worked hard, they picked weeds, they sweat, they danced to some music, you better believe that. But you know what happened? Family. Family happened. As people gathered, there was laughter, there was memories made. You better believe I have my boom out here. And I'm just going to say I wasn't playing all Christian music. I want to just confess that for a second. You had like, I don't know if this is my church for me. But hey, uh, it was fun. I was dancing. It was a blast. And man, I'm just so grateful for that. I hope this is our story, City Light. That we're not just a family that sings together, but we're a family that serves together. Amen. So if you're new or you're just joining us today, uh, just to catch you up on our sermon series we've done so far, we're going through our core values. This is a core team phase. It's usually not this big. God's been doing great stuff. But we we have four core values, down, up, in, and out. You'll probably get sick of us saying that, but we want to continue to press those in. And so week one, um, Mo did awesome. He talked to us about down, which is that God expressed his love by sending Jesus down for us. And that this is the core value. It, 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 it dictates everything we do, every decision we make, every song we sing, every passage we choose to show that God came down and died for broken sinners. And then I talked about up, which is our inevitable response to God's grace and his goodness. And so in that, if we understand that we've been forgiven much, well, then we love much. And last week, uh, Pastor Mo talked about in, which is the community of God, which basically means that this place is supposed to be a family to belong to, not a place to be lost in, okay? It's a family that we're, yeah, we're forgiven, but we're also adopted into this great family. And then this week, I get the great privilege of talking to you, our family, um, about out, which is the mission of God. And so as, as God sent Jesus for us, he too sends us to go and proclaim his good news to our city, our state, our nation, and the world around us. And, and, and so I'm super excited. How many of you guys went to the Husker game this week? Show of hands. All right. Go Huskers. You can cheer a little bit. You know we're excited about that. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, for all the people that watched it too, I want you to imagine this. Tommy Armstrong Jr., Gets on the 50-yard line. He says, hey, look, hey, let's, let's get together. This is what we need to do, all right? This is the, this is the game plan. This is what we're going to do. This is the play. I'm going to throw a fade to Western Camp, and surely he's going to catch it. Everyone gets excited. Hey, you block this guy. You do this. They get pumped. They're jumping around. They're excited, and they say break, and everyone goes, and they sit on the bench. I mean, how crazy would that be? How frustrated would you be if you saw that? And then they get a delay of game. And then they get back together and they're hooting and hollering and getting excited and getting crazy. And it's exciting and saying, man, just do this. This is the play we need to do. This is what we need to do. And then what happens? They break and they run back and sit on the bench. City light. Far too often for years, the Christian church has done this very thing. We gather on Sundays, we open our Bibles, our playbook, and we get excited and we talk about what we need to do and what we want to do and how we're going to change the city. And then we break, we, we, we go, we scatter through the week, and then we just sit on the bench. 
We go to our dorm room, our house, our apartment, and, and it's just, we're just taking a break. And I've been begging Jesus that that wouldn't be our story. I, it can't be our story. Like, Jesus, please don't let that be our story. I want to be a people that loves God and loves people that reaches out. And so here's why this morning matters. When, when you see how Jesus has changed your life, you can't help but want to share that good news with other people, right? Like, we love the Huskers, right? And so, so for some of us in the room, we're like, hey, man, did you know that the Huskers beat the Ducks? They're like, yeah, bro, that was three months ago. Like, it's Christmas time now. They're like, yeah, but it's so awesome that we beat them, you know, like last minute. See, like, we talk about things we love, right? We just do. It's innate in us. And so why would we think it's any different about Jesus or his Bible or his gospel? And so, again, when we see all that God has done for us, we should want to respond in wanting to go and tell people about it. And another way to think of this is that, is that the, the gospel doesn't compel us by guilt, but by gratitude to go share the gospel. It's not a guilt thing. It's not you should do this. It's I really want to do this. So have you ever met someone that's a little bit scary or intimidating? Besides Pastor Mo, I mean, I'm not saying, I just, you're like, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but, but I was on my first mission trip in San Diego, California. I know you're like, that don't sound like a mission trip. That sounds like a vacation. I was both. I don't know, but I was, I was excited. And so anyways, I'm there, and this is week one. So I'm 19 years old. I'm unprepared. I, have, I haven't been through any training. I don't even know what I'm doing. And so we're going through, my buddies uh, and I go to In-N-Out Burger. And if you guys know In-N-Out Burger, you're like, that sound, amen. <laughs> oh, all right. So Jesus don't get a bunch of class, but In-N-Out Burger does. We got to work on that, church. <laughs> but, okay, and so from this, what happens is that, um, is that we go in there, and as we're walking in, this guy's like, hey, hey, come here. I'm like, mm-mm, I need a burger. So I get away. <laughs> and, and so, and I felt, as I tried to ignore him, God's like, you need to go talk to him. So I go back and say, hey, what's up, man? It's just me and my buddy. And uh, he's like, hey, you guys got any weed? I'm like, mm-mm, not really into that right now. And he's like, oh, 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 you want, you, you want some? And like little polite 19-year-old Austin's like, no, thank you, sir. Like, he's like <laughs> this guy's like, who is this? But anyway, so we're having uh, a time where I said, look, I don't want any weed, but do you want a burger? And he says, Sure. So we walk in, we get a burger, and uh, we sit there and just talk to him like normal, a normal human being. We, we hear his story. His name's Randy, and uh, Randy had been homeless for the last six years, went through a divorce and a lot of crappy stuff that led him to this situation. He had um, blood like on his hands and on his it was just It was not a good situation. So we, we talked to him. We prayed for him. Uh, we laughed a little bit, and then we gave him some money, and we left. Uh, but I remember everyone in that restaurant was looking at Randy. Like, no one, like, no one would turn their back on him. They were all afraid. Like, the guys were pushing their wives behind. Like, everyone was scared of this man. And, and as, I, as I think and I look at Mark chapter 5, our passage today, about this demon possessed, this crazy man that everyone's afraid of, I think about Randy. Not specifically because I was afraid. I, I was a little bit afraid of him, but I found out he's kind of a normal guy. In some cases, but anyways, what, what had happened was that everybody else was afraid of him. Nobody wanted to talk to him. It was just like an outcast. And so I want to look in, our, in, in the Bible this morning and see exactly who this demon-possessed man is. So you can turn your Bibles to Mark 5, verses 1 through 5. We'll read. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. 
And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So right before we get this passage, Jesus and the disciples are crossing the sea, and this massive storm comes, and they're afraid, and everyone's afraid. They're saying, we're going to die. And then they're like, Jesus, do you know, do you even care what's happening right now? And Jesus is sleeping. He sits up. He's like, peace, be still. And the wind ceases, the waves cease, and there's this great calm. And so a a theme that Mark is trying to show in in his gospel account is that Jesus is powerful and he has authority. That's a main theme that you're going through. So I want you to think, so he goes, Mark is going into specific detail in these verses to show us just how powerful and how much authority this demon-possessed man has. Like no one could subdue him. No one could hold him down. Like they put chains on his hands and his feet and he somehow breaks out of them. Like he, he just can't be held down. And so he's crying and he's cutting himself and he's screaming in the tombs. Like this is not a guy you want to mess around with. In verse four, it says that no one had strength to subdue him. How did, how did they find that out? Well, they took the strongest guys in town. So they're calling me up. They're like, hey, awesome, we need you. <laughs> I thought we were a family. You're like, yeah, Austin, you'd look all right today, but I guess I don't. But anyways, so they called the strongest guys, and they're like, hey, look, we, we, we need to hold this guy down. He's going crazy. He's a wild animal. We need to hold him down. So they get these strongest guys. Mm-mm. They don't have anything. He was clotheslining them probably. I don't know, but it was, a, it was a battle. So anyways, the yoked up CrossFit guy that's taking protein shakes every day didn't have anything on this guy. Like he was so powerful. And in verse five, it says that he was always crying out and screaming. And I, I'm not an expert on like health and stuff like that, but I don't think if you're healthy and happy that you're like constantly screaming and cutting your like whole body. I don't know. But this guy was an outcast. He was wild. He was uncontrollable. He surely was powerful. And so I want to get in the mind of these people, right? Like in this country, they know this man, this demon-possessed man is powerful, like so, so powerful, more powerful than anyone else around in, in the region. And so they also might have heard, hey, this Jesus guy, like, I think he's done some things, so he might be a little bit powerful, powerful too. Hey, you know what? Hey, Tim, come over. We're going to pop some popcorn, and this is going to be the showdown of the year. Hashtag UFC 8030, right? Like, they were getting excited. It's, it's going to be big. They're excited, but look what happens. Look at their first interaction in verses 6 through 13. And when he saw Jesus, this is their first interaction, this powerful man, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Side note, church, you're talking to someone, they start referring to themselves in plural, get out of that situation, all right? But Jesus isn't like us. He stays in. And listen to what happens. Verse uh, 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. This 
powerful, scary, feared man falls on his face before Jesus and begs him, do not torment me. And then he goes on and begs him, just please, I know you're going to send me out. Send me out to the pigs. And Jesus grants him or them permission. And so they leave and they go into 2,000 pigs. A a legion was the largest unit in a Roman uh, army, and so that would communicate strength, power, undefeatableness, just this this sense of the sense of power. And so, there's a lot of demons in this man. There's a lot of darkness in this man, and they're asking Jesus for permission. Like, so there's a false theology, a false thinking, and it's called dualism. Now, dualism is the idea that there are two separate entities, good and bad. So like for Star Wars fans, it's like the light side of the force and the dark side of the force. They're like basically battling out and they're, they're equal in power. And so this thinking is that God and Satan are basically battling it out and we're not sure who will win. But did you see this story? Like this kills the idea that somehow God and Satan are on the same page. This is not some divine duel where Satan and God are punching out and we're in the stands hoping that our God wins. No, when you see the power of Jesus, it's impossible to make Satan small enough. Man, if you think that your sin is too big for Jesus, well, then your view of Jesus is far too small. If you think that his grace can't abound over your sin, your view of Jesus is far too small. He's victorious, he's good, and he is powerful. This man that was possessed by an army of demons should should show us that no one, no one is out of the reach of God's grace. Amen? Like some of you may be in the room thinking, yeah, we're here today. I know he's talking about forgiveness, but, but what I've been through, what I've done, what I've thought when I was alone, what I've just been through, I, there's not forgiveness for that. But assuming that your sin is too big for Jesus is assuming that Jesus is too small to save you. And he's not. Like, this man didn't clean himself up. He didn't straighten up his act. He didn't wait for his wounds to heal. No, he came to Jesus as he was, and Jesus met him there with love and grace. And so I want to press into two people in the room this morning. For the person in the room that thinks that God can't somehow forgive your sins, that they're too bad, I want you to take another look at this story. I want you to take another look at this man. Like he wasn't good, he, he, he wasn't cleaned up, he wasn't doing everything right. Like Luke, Luke 19, it, J- Jesus gives his mission statement, it says, I came to seek and save the lost. That's what he does as he reaches out to the messy, we're all messy. And so where did we ever get off to think that Christianity was for good people? It's not for good people because good people don't exist. Like, it's for bad, messy people. And in this place, we, amongst all other people, should be okay to confess our brokenness because we've got Jesus. So in your seat, wherever you are, what you're thinking, I can assure you, just please look at this story and see that Jesus can save anybody. So as you take one look at your sin, would you take 10 looks at Jesus and his power and his grace and his ability to save? And for the Christian in the room, I want to ask you, Have you been comfortable? Like, is there someone in your life, a man, woman, I don't know, that you've deemed unsavable, but God wants to show his grace and glory to? Like, it's easier to avoid than to confront. It's easier to forget about than it is to actually press in and pray for. 
Like, is there someone in your life? It could be the classmate that you know goes out and drinks every single night or the friend that goes out and drinks every single night and comes back with a different guy or girl without fail. It could be your coworker that has, has a crazy anger problem and is outspoken for his hate or her hate for God. It could be the homeless man you pass by every single day on your way to work or to class. I, I don't know who it is, but, but do you have that person? And as I was praying through this passage, God reminded me, Austin, you were this man. Like, the only reason I was going to church was to look good and make people like me, but I was addicted, yearning for approval, using women to boost my ego. And then a girl named Anna West invites me to a Christian Bible study. Like, she took the chance, and I go there. I'm unclean. I'm not doing well at all. I'm a mess, and I was met at that place with love, with grace, and forgiveness. I found a family, and I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for that invitation or it weren't for that Bible study. So City Light, man, is there someone in your life that you've deemed unsavable that God wants to show his grace through? Jesus has the power to save the unlikely. Now, let's continue reading verses 14 through 17. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened, the demon-possessed man, and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So everyone in the region, everyone is shocked. They're like, what? This guy, like he was possessed. We tried everything we can, every trick we had in the book, and now he's in his right mind and he's clothed? I don't want us to miss this. In the entire biblical narrative, a change in clothing is a change in status. So remember Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sin for the first time, and they make themselves these leaves to cover themselves, their, their clothes, and God sees them, and he kills an animal and clothes them. He clothes them. And then in, in Zechariah, the high priest Joshua is being accused by Satan, and then he's wearing these filthy clothes, and God takes his filthy clothes off and gives him pure, new clothes. And what happens in Luke 15 when the prodigal son returns to his father? puts a ring on his finger, he puts sandals on his feet, and his very own cloak around his back. Like, I think Jesus is telling us in this passage that he's made this man new. He's got a different status. See, this man isn't just clothed in earthly garments. No, he's wrapped in the redeeming, powerful love of Jesus. But the people are afraid, and they beg Jesus to leave their region. They're more caught up with losing their pigs than they are with celebrating that a man just got freed of thousands of demons. But, like, doesn't this show us insight into our own hearts? We far too often focus on what is seen and not what is unseen. Just imagine the people, but you don't, you don't understand. I mean, 2,000 pigs, it was everything I had. It was all I had. And yeah, I understand, but this shows a heart that's more concerned with possessions than they are people. And I've been guilty of this far too often. Like, I pray, my wife and I pray, God, use us to impact your kingdom. Use us to, to show people your glory and your grace and your gospel. And he does. And then every year I get like five million support letters from people. And my wife and I sit down and we're like, 
it's hard, but it's worth it. Like, I will just give a little bit less to savings this year. Like, that's okay. It's worth it to send this girl to, to, to Thailand and this guy to Kenya and this, and this girl to, to Florida. Like, it's, it's worth it to, to do that. I mean, if you're having Citigroup at your house and someone spills Kool-Aid on your brand new carpet, you've got to remember, like, people are eternal and possessions aren't. Like, it's okay, you know? Like, it, it, it's worth it. And so let's continue. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. As he, was, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has shown, uh, has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Isn't this our story? Like we were dead in our sin, in our trespasses, running away from God. We were messy and dirty. And he comes and he meets us where we are at. God loved us when we were unlovable. And so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus not only saves the unlikely, but he sends the unprepared. Like this man sees all that Jesus has done for him. And then he earnestly asks, hey, Jesus, would you mind if I come with you? Like, I, I would love to, to, to come with. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go home and I want you to tell your friends all the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. Jesus is telling him, yeah, yeah, it, it'd be easy for you to come with me. But they're telling me to leave. And so I want you to be my representative in this country. Pop quiz, City Light. Who was the first missionary that Jesus sent out? Answer, the man possessed by an army of demons. The first missionary. Like, what is that story? Like, no one can write that. No one can think that up. And so I, I, I want to show you, friends, that when Jesus wants to save a people, he saves a person. When he wants to save a people, he saves a person. So they were kicking Jesus, or Jesus out of the region. And I would have been like, if I was Jesus, I'm like, all right. Good luck earning your salvation. Good luck being perfect. You want me out? Peace. I'm going to some other people that need me. But Jesus doesn't do that. He operates out of grace that's unconditional. And so he's saying, man, even though they're kicking me out, I'm going to send you to be my representative in this country. I'm going to send you as a missionary to share my good news with these people that don't have, they want nothing to do with me. And I want you to see, this man doesn't have a strategy. He's got a story. He isn't trained. He isn't well-equipped in discipleship and evangelism. He doesn't even know what those words mean. He isn't isn't gone through a seminar to see how and why and and how you start a spiritual conversation and how you lead it into this and what you do if the person wants to accept Jesus. He has no idea. He doesn't have a strategy, but he's got a story. And I want you to see Jesus' power to send the unprepared. If you're a Christian in the room, I think it's fair to assume that we understand that we should go tell people about Jesus. Like, it's not a secret, you know? Like, that's what we should do. It's good news. We want to tell good news. Like I said, I'm not saying every other person we should interact with, we share the gospel. I'm not saying every day, every second, every week, but what I'm saying is that eventually we understand that we should tell people about Jesus, but none of us in the room are batting a thousand on that. 
Like, we're not doing great. And I'm wondering why. I'm like, why, Jesus? Why do I do this? And so I thought through, and a few impediments for myself. One of them is that I don't want people to think I'm weird. Like, I just don't want to be that awkward guy that's, like, always talking about Jesus. Another reason, I don't believe that people will respond. Like, Jesus won't save them. I don't know. Maybe I just, I just don't know. I, um, and then also, like, I love my comfort. I don't, I would rather eat Chipotle by myself than like go reach out to another stranger. Like it's just easier, you know? But one of the biggest and most compelling ones that, that, that kept up in my head was a lack of knowledge. Like an, a lack of knowledge has held me back from sharing the gospel many times. And maybe you have a similar story. What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Like, how am I supposed to even start the conversation? How am I supposed to even get the conversation to Jesus? Like, I don't know how to do it. But friends, I want you to look at this man and be encouraged. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have exactly what you need to make an impact in his kingdom. Exactly what you need. See, Jesus took this man's mess and made it a message. Isn't that beautiful? He takes a mess and makes it into a message. So hear me when I say this. Your resume will never bond you deeply with another person. Like comparing square footage to the person next to you isn't going to make them say, man, I just really love you. Like that just feel really at home when you say that. Comparing your ACT score and boasting about it isn't going to get people like excited and feel like they're in this family. Telling people you've got it all together, man, I just don't feel like that's going to produce authenticity, honesty. See, our brokenness is what bonds us. Oh, you were addicted to porn for years? So was I. Oh, oh you, you got married when you, and you weren't a virgin? Yes, so was I. Oh, you struggled with drugs and alcohol? Yes, so, so did I. Oh, you don't know a ton about your Bible? Yeah, neither do I. A friend once told me, if you share your strengths with someone, they'll respect you. But if you share your weaknesses, they'll love you. City Light, Jesus wants to take your mess and give you a message. Make that a message. See, verse 20 says, And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. I mean, what would it have been like, honestly, to see this man? Like, he was once the craziest, most uncontrolled man ever, and now he's clothed in his right mind telling people about Jesus. I mean, think of those people were like, hey, hey, like, Jesus just did something crazy for him. Like, maybe he could do that for me. If Jesus can save this guy, maybe he can do that for me. Everyone marveled. Translation, God used this man to save the people in this region. Like, it's beautiful. This broken, wild man that was completely unlikely and unprepared, God used to save this people. And so hear me when I say this. God never saves a person just for that person. He saves people for other people. So there's a girl in our church, and her name is Hannah. She's a student at UNL. Uh, When she came to college, she wanted nothing to do with Jesus. She's like, man, I'm not following him. Like, there's a ton of other things to do. And so she partied. She um, lived that life week in and week out and did that. And then she found out, man, I just feel empty. Like, I've, I've been trying this. I've done the party thing. I'm going to UNL. And I just, it's not enough. And so she had a group of women come around her. 
And they shared the gospel with her, and Hannah, about a year ago, gave her life to Jesus. It's beautiful, right? And then Mo and I had the privilege of sitting down with her and just talking to her and hearing her story and hearing her passion to share the gospel and Jesus' love with every girl in her sorority. Like, it's wild. Like she, she just started a, a Bible study in her sorority, and she doesn't even, she's not even quite sure how to lead one. But they're getting together. They're opening their Bible. She's, ta- she's telling her story, talking about Jesus, looking at a passage. Man, Hannah doesn't see Sunday mornings as a place to come last minute and leave early. No, she sees every Sunday morning as an opportunity to invite her friends so they might interact with believers and they might see Jesus' love and grace. That's what she views church as. Not a seat to sit in, but a seat to fill with someone else that they might meet Jesus. See, when God wanted to save the sorority girls, of Gamma Phi, he saved Hannah. He saved Hannah. And so can I ask you, City Light, where is your home? Like, who are your friends that God saved you with the intention of saving? Like, where is he calling you to share your story? Who did he have in mind when he saved you? I know some of you have never seen your coworkers or your students, or your classmates, or your friends as a mission field. Maybe not, you've even seen your neighbor that loves Bud Light and drinks on fire. I mean, I don't know what it is, but, but that's your mission field. Like, missions aren't just overseas. They're here and now. And I prom- it's so hard to understand. It's easy to think of yourself as a missionary when you're over in Thailand or South Africa. It's hard to see your missionary in Lincoln, Nebraska. But I want to assure you, and I want you to see this passage and see that if you are a Christian, you are a missionary. In your dorm room, at your workplace, at your house, in your apartment, to your family, to your friends, you are a missionary. Remember Randy from San Diego? It was week one when we met. And then week nine, I kind of forgot about him. You know, I prayed for him for a little bit, kind of forgot. And then week nine, we, we gathered with a, uh, we partnered with an organization in a church that was actually doing this huge, like, homeless outreach in downtown San Diego. They blocked a whole square block off in San Diego to do homeless outreach. And so all of us are super excited. We're like, there's 10 of us. We're like, let's go, let's do, let's serve. We're like, oh, we want to give out clothes. We want to hear people's stories. We want to, like, do security and sound. And so we walk up, and I got 10 people. And I'm like, hey, what's up? Like, I'm ready to serve a little bit. I'm excited. And they're like, okay, great. Well, uh, we need a ton of people to do manicures and pedicures for people. I'm like, oh, well, we got six girls with us. So I kind of volunteered them. And a girl lovingly but convicting looked at me and said, you know, Jesus washed feet too. I said, all right. (laughs) That's where we're going here. And so me and the six girls walk over, wash people's feet, wash their hands, clip their nails. And we shared stories together. I got to hear their pain and their brokenness and their joys. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had in my life. And everyone wanted to get their nails clipped and stuff like that. And so there was this massive line. And so every other station, getting on clothes, whatever else to volunteer for it, they had left. Like it was done, but we had this super long line. And so we get to the end of it and we're there super late. And we get done. I'm just about to leave. There's no one else there. And I turn around and there's Randy. But Randy didn't look anything like 
the Randy I met eight weeks ago. Randy was cleaned up. Randy had his hair. I mean, just like his clothes were, looked great. He had, I mean, it was just, it was crazy. So I look at him and I'm like, and he just starts running towards me. And so we grab each other and I, I hug and I'm like, man, I missed you. Like, what are you, what are you doing? And I, and I try to let go and he just won't let go. And he's just sobbing and crying. And I remember he could barely get out and he said, I thought you were an angel. I didn't think that you were real. Like the way you talked to me and the way you interact with me, it just, I've never felt that in my life. I found out that uh, that night, eight weeks before that, Randy gave his life to Jesus. Amen. I praise God for that. Randy hadn't touched a drug in eight weeks, hadn't had a sip of alcohol in eight weeks. He finally had a job. And you know what he said to me? Last week, you'd be really proud. I actually got to take someone out to eat like you took me out to eat. And we just talked like you talked to me. Who would have thought a homeless, drug-addicted man would then, then a a 19-year-old, unprepared, unexperienced, young, immature man would be able to talk with him, lead him to Christ, and then he would go be sober and do the same thing to another person. City like God saves the unlikely and sends the unprepared. That's his story. That's the power of the gospel. That's our story. And so please, please, Do not sell Christianity short to think it's some rules to follow and a place to go on Sundays. It's so much more beautiful than that. So much more beautiful. There are real lives that God wants to save and he wants to use you. So please do not waste your life and please don't waste your story. Jesus on the cross took the place of this man. He was stripped naked, beaten, scourged, outcast. Everyone hated him, and he's alone on the cross. Do you see how he took his Do you see the, the parallels? And in turn, Jesus gave him his life, his goodness, his joy. But see, the difference was that three days later, Jesus rose from the tomb, defeating death and Satan and sin. Like, he's victorious over it all. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Jesus is the victor over all. He is powerful. He is good. Only our God can save the unlikely, and only our God can send the unprepared. So I want you guys, my family, to see that Jesus alone has the power to take your mess and make it a message. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you.